You're listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out race92.com to see the many different shirts we offer. I'm your co-host, Aaron McIntyre, other co-host. You may have seen him walking out of a great club with a big old smile on his face. You've probably seen him at a dirt track. He is Scott Bally. Hey, Scott. How's Hello, it going? Aaron. How are you, bud? I am doing fantastic. We have a great show today, and we're yes. changing our format a little bit on this one because it is a little longer, and I think for some of the longer ones we are going to do this, we're going to split it into two parts. So the first part will be this week, and the second part will be next week. Um, and this is a great one to do it with because our guest is Willie T. Ribs. Yes. Uh, Willie T. Ribs. Wow, what a great conversation uh willie's got a story for everything uh and willie is a uh, funny man uh he's been through a lot ups and downs um guy loves auto racing uh loves you know he loves just life i think you know and and uh what a pleasure it was to talk to him and uh, i really enjoyed it yeah no great guy um probably one of the funniest people i've ever talked to um before we get into anything else just wanted to thank everyone for watching um our video so far for listening to the podcast um if you haven't already make sure you like and subscribe to our youtube channel as well as um like us on apple Podcasts, follow us on spotify anywhere where our podcast is found we definitely appreciate the support and yeah thanks for listening and We'll definitely have a lot more great podcasts coming your way. Yeah, and we just actually just finished recording one that it's uh, pretty short, uh, but it's still a good one. And it's uh, I think some people find it interesting. Just uh, and a little train that could or whatever you want to call it. But it's a feel good story. And um, I think people are going to really enjoy it. And uh, and we've got others. Uh, that we've already recorded that I think people are going to enjoy. And I noticed that we, we are uh, gathering subscribers. Um, so we do very much appreciate that. And I uh, just want to say thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, pretty exciting weekend of racing, to say the least. Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, you know what? Oddly controversial in some ways. Um, I wasn't quite sure of uh why people were upset over the track having problems at the speedway with the cup cars i mean i i get it to a certain extent but i mean it's a racetrack uh i've seen several other racetracks have problems for yeah. some reason that curve was uh atlanta really, well, <laughs> yeah atlanta uh, i mean uh was it daytona didn't some of the concrete come out of daytona a few years ago or mm -hmm. i mean there's you know, tons and tons of tracks, IndyCar and and uh, NASCAR. I mean, it just is going to happen from time to time. Um, I know that uh, the the principals at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway will cure whatever the issue was with those those uh, rumble strips or curbs or whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just thought it was funny to hear people talk about all the damage, and I'm like, well, you run. Daytona and Talladega twice a year, so I don't know if the damage from the speedway quite adds up to that. But right, and speaking of the principals, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, 
How about Doug Bowles on the track sweeping up the debris? Did anybody think that was going to go any different than that? I mean, Doug Bowles, he is hands-on. Um, he's hands-on with everything. I mean, I, I saw uh, a tweet. Uh, somebody tweeted at him that uh, there was somebody had a, a problem at the Speedway, and they, they tweeted at him, and he was like, hey, get my DMs. Let me see what I can do for you. I mean, it's like that all the time, and uh, it's not a show. It's not glad-handing. It's not only when the camera's around. That's how that guy is, I think. And I think he truly, truly uh, respects and understands that he is just a caretaker and a, you know, of something that's going to be passed to someone else, and he hopes for a very long time he's trying to leave it a better place than where he found it. Absolutely. So, um, IndyCar race, great race. I think um, Will Power finally broke his um, his curse. Yeah, the Anvil uh, missed him this week. Uh, it it kind of uh, it didn't hit Scott Dixon, but it it must have gotten his way because man, that that was a performance that you don't see out of that team. They right. weren't they weren't fast, pretty much kind of all weekend um, in an odd way and. Uh, boy, kind of surprising. I mean, because he really, if he could just have a Scott Dixon type of weekend, he would have really closed in the points, but he didn't. And these young kids are coming. Uh, Alex Pillow was going to have a great day, and he had a turbo fire or what, whatever put him out of the race. So, and Pato had a great finish. And uh, we saw that kid from... Uh, I'm not sure where he's from, but he was driving for um, uh, Ray Hall. Qualify oh, yeah. so well, and and uh, man, these <laughs> and these guys are coming, and, and they're more sniffing around. So this this IndyCar racing is definitely trending upwards. Yep, and Alex Albon was walking around the paddock right. area, talking to a lot of the teams. So I definitely expect to see him in IndyCar next year. Yeah, and, and he's not the only one. I think I think there's going to be some others, and um, whether F1 teams are looking to park some of these drivers in IndyCar, I, that I don't know, or if these guys are just seeing real opportunities. You you hear uh, Alex uh, Pelot talk, and he's like, "Hey, this is where I want to be. This is who I am." Um, you know, he feels like this is some of the greatest racing you can do. Um, so it, it's definitely we're. Uh, we're catching a great mix of the new, of the young and the older. I don't want to say old, older, uh, right now, and I, and uh, hopefully everybody takes this in because this this is not going to last much longer. These newer kids are going to come along, and, and some of our older favorites are going to be gone. Oh yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, um, but I I thought the IndyCar race was great. Uh, I thought the cup race was good. That's the first cup race or maybe the second that I've watched completely all the way through in 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and they were racing hard and they were kind of beating and banging. And uh, not that I think that makes for great racing, but I mean, they were trading position and yeah. Hey man, I, you know, I love the oval as much as anybody, but with those cars, yeah. I, they don't race well there. That's just kind of how it is. 
So they found a, a good race. And uh, unfortunately, they did have the issue with the curb that, you know, kind of soured it a little bit. But um, it didn't really sour it for me, but for some people it may have. And that's too bad. But uh, I think they'll, they said, well, this race, we'll remember this for years to come and all that. I don't know about that. I mean, you come back next year and put on a great show, this year is forgotten. But, yeah, absolutely great to see, you know, A.J. Allmendinger won. Great That's guy. Right. Um, really cool to see him, you know, talk about Bob Jenkins, give Robin Miller the shout-out. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, Robin's there, and, and Robin's, you know, he's fighting. And, unfortunately, we lost Bob. And, you know, and today at the end of Motor Speedway, they did a tribute to Bob that, you can find, I'm sure, by now on YouTube. They they streamed it live, and uh, but AJ was, you know, in his victory celebration was so kind to to mention these people um, that you don't have to. I mean, you it's easily forgotten, right? But AJ, I you know, and I don't know much about AJ, but uh, it tells me he's a pretty mindful guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, you know, obviously. He, you know, he had a good run of the 500 one year, could have easily won the race. So definitely, um, you know, great to see him win Indy. And I'm sure if you asked him if he could win one race in NASCAR, I'm sure Indy would be near the top of that list. Yeah, I, I think so too. Would his belts come loose or something, right? Wasn't that the deal when he lost the, the 500? Like yeah, he, something I, like that. I don't really like remember. I, I know they were talking about it on TV yesterday that he almost won the race. And I do kind of remember that, but I don't remember what exactly happened, yeah. but... I mean, ever since that guy was in Champ Car, if you remember when he went in Champ Car, I mean, he was just like winning everything. Right. Yeah. There for he, a while, and, and just great road racer. When you look at road racers in America, I mean, he's definitely near the top of that list. Yeah, and he and he was so disappointed when he didn't win the Xfinity race mm -hmm. that you know he was really crushed by that. And but then he comes around the next day, and it, everything just lines up perfect. You know, we we got to talk about Chase Briscoe. Uh, Indiana boy um, had a great day. He was fast all day. Mm. Um, I kind of felt like that penalty. I mean, that's of course, it's their rules and rules are rules. I mean, he come back out exactly where he was when he got run off the track because he was forced off the track. And that was um, by Denny, right? Denny forced yeah. him off the track? Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. I understand. I get it. But, I mean, he did – he was thinking he would just drop two wheels off and then fade back. And, you know, and the kid said, no, I'm going to just cut across. You run me off the track, I'm just going to cut across. And he entered. He didn't really gain a spot. Uh, right. So I, I kind of felt like that's – if you don't gain a spot, I don't see where the harm is. But they call it. I mean, that's that's fine. And – then I, you know, then he ends up dumping Denny, whether he did on purpose or he says he didn't. Uh, yeah. I will tell you, I will tell you that it looked like Denny had a car, a problem with his car as quickly as Chase caught him. So I thought that was kind of strange how fast he caught him, because I mean Denny looked like he had lost power. Yeah. Uh, so and obviously he hadn't. So I mean, who knows what really happened there, but. Uh, but, uh, you know, but he had a good showing for himself. Uh, and then you got to talk about Kyle Larson. 
Yeah, I think that's a question that's been going on for the past year is who can stop Kyle Larson? I I don't think – man, I don't know. I uh, mean, he would have easily won that race. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if things would have ran out, he would have easily won it. Although, I, I was thinking about it earlier. I mean, if the curb's going to break apart, it's going to break apart anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's going to do damage. So you're going to have a yellow or a red or whatever, you know, whatever you're going to. I, I think you were going to have that anyway. But, um, you know, he goes to, or excuse me, he goes to Knoxville, uh, wins one of the biggest races that, in his mind, he can win. Yeah. Uh, sheds tears in victory lane uh, for a guy who's not very emotional. Uh, doesn't party. Uh, Kendra Jacobs, Twice. who runs. Fly straight uh, to Indy. I was going to say yeah. fly straight to Indy. Got here at like 4 a.m. and then qualified, um, what, third? I mean, what did he qualify? Yeah, like third, something like that. Yeah, um, at 9 a.m. So, yeah. Kendra Jacobs, uh, so she runs Knoxville and she comes from a racing family, um, but she's one of the people in charge of Knoxville Speedway. And she was talking about how she's so used to after the winter wins. They're, they got a bar there called Dingus, and they all go and party, and you know, and all of this, that, and the other. And she and they, there's video of of Kyle. He's standing on a stage or a picnic table or something. He gives a toast to everybody, and he says, "Well, I, you know, basically, I got to go." And they said that as they were still standing there, they saw his plane fly over heading to Indy. Um, so it shows you how committed he is right now, and I. I'm going to say something here that's probably going to – some people are going to find a little controversial. But this come to me as I was watching the race yesterday. And I started to think that maybe one of the reasons why Larson is doing so well is because Larson is a professional race car driver all the time. He's not trying to be a businessman. He's not being a father all week, although he, he loves his kids. and He has kids, but he goes off and races two, three, four times a week before Sundays. Mm-hmm. And he's treating it like his job. Yep, and he's constantly in that mode. And he's constantly in that mode. And I'm not so sure that isn't beyond his great talent. That isn't what's separating him maybe from some of the others right now who are being businessmen, businesswomen, who are, you know, raising families and going on trips and all that during the week. Um, and Kyle Larson's racing, and he's racing everything he can get into, and he's got this must-have-a-checklist in his mind of races that he wants to win, and he's going to win them before he's done. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, speaking of, you know, races he wants to win, there was an article that um, Robin Miller released um, either today. Yeah, it must have been this morning about, um, you know, that he needs to drive in the 500. And I know Larson's definitely interested in doing that. And I think that would be great for the sport. And, uh, and he had a quote in there from Jeff Gordon about Jeff Gordon talking about how, you know, he's one of the best talent that he's seen. I mean, just about ever. I mean, you know, you're and talking Jeff, about ones and a fifth generation driver. And that's a man that could stand and look in the mirror and say, hey, I, at one time I was one of the greatest talents ever. Because anybody, yeah. and I've said this on this show before, 
anybody who had the pleasure of watching Jeff Gordon race when he was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, my goodness, uh, boy, he was unbelievable. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, what's the old saying? Game recognizes game. You know, Tony Stewart's probably sitting there telling those Ford execs every day, you know, hey, I wanted him, and you guys wouldn't let me have him. You know, now look what's happening. And, uh, you know, and I understand the controversy, and I understand the stigma, and I'm not saying that what he, you know, I would never condone what he said. And, um, but on the other hand, uh, he has been contrite. He is appears by all circumstances he's trying to be a better person and he is just what before you thought he was focused on racing now he's laser focused on racing and uh man hats off to that guy i mean you know people say well he may be greater than aj Foyt, and the only thing i'd say to that is is he may be as good as aj but Farnelli goaded Foyt in to run a sprint car at the Indy Mile when he told him that he couldn't beat Poncho and he couldn't beat Opperman. And he went out to the Indy Mile when he hadn't run sprint cars for a few years and beat them both. So, right. you know, I, I would I would never tell you that he's better than AJ, um, but I would tell you that he is that rarefied error for sure. Absolutely. And we talk about how, you know, focus is on racing. I will say, I know after pretty much all the races he does, especially dirt races, he stays in the pits a couple hours after and signs for every single fan. Right. And it just definitely shows that, you know, he definitely cares about the fans. And I mean, he, he knows what, you know, gives him his paycheck at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, that, and I, and I said this, um, I said this when he won one of the midget week shows last year, he get you know at least for those races he would get out of the car he would celebrate you know on the cage or whatever for the moment and you just kind of see this look come over him in his eyes and then you can already see him thinking about what he could have done better and this that and the other and and you know goes and takes care of his fans and then you know he's off to the next race and I mean boy it, it, this is rare rare stuff we're watching. And uh, hats off to him. And, uh, you know, I I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see. I, either we'll never see this again or we will see way more of it because of him. And I don't know which. Oh, yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, well, I think, um, is there any other racing news we missed? I don't think so. Not really. I mean, it really was a Kyle Larson weekend uh, for the most part. And, uh, and it was the great, um, really the, the great job done by the Speedway and NASCAR and IndyCar to put all that together. And, and really, you know, sometimes when you see those things, there's a little bit of cross fighting and arguing and, and all this kind of thing like that. And you didn't really hear any of that. You know, guys complain about these cars or that cars, or um, so I, I thought it was a, a great success. I personally think, for the people who think that that wasn't a great race, I think the average fan thinks it was a great race, and I think it's going to be a bigger crowd next year. 
Um, that's my personal opinion. I could be wrong, but I, I, you know, it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see what those ticket sales look like for next year. Yeah, I mean, I definitely will go back. I was there, and um, yeah, it's definitely the best racing I've seen of NASCAR on that track. That's for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't. That's no question. You can't argue. I, you can't argue that. You know, I do. I do wish the Xfinity cars ran Raceway Park. Um, not to say I don't want to run the. Not to say I don't want to run the the road course at Indy. I, I do wish they were back at Raceway Park along with the trucks because that was such mm-hmm. a great event in Indianapolis, and especially for uh, uh, the track itself. Uh, so, but that's a little selfish on my part. But and maybe one of these days we will see that again. But uh, right now, I think they got a great package and a great show. And and uh, man, I, I think the sky's the limit for IndyCar right now, though. I, I really do. Yep, I mean, we're going to have, um, sounds like Jimmy Johnson doing the 500 next year. We can get Kyle Larson in there. Um, I, that'll be one hell of a race. I mean, there's going to be, you know, you, you you start hearing all these cars for next year, and there's going to be bumping. I mean, they're, you know, yeah. I mean, real bumping. I mean, there was bumping this year. Um, but, uh, but the talent level is so deep. That's the crazy part. I mean, and I won't say names, but I, I would say that there's only maybe two guys that you could really point to and say, hmm, I don't know. You know, and, I, and I'd and i say that not wishing the mill. I, I wish they, but every weekend they're just not great. Um, and I hope they do pick it up, and I hope they yeah. somehow something good happens for them. Uh, but that's pretty good i mean that you can't really ask for much more than that oh no not at all well i think um we'll go ahead and um listen to the willie t ribs interview part one yeah it please enjoy because we sure did (laughs) and um make sure next week you tune in for part two our guest today was the first driver to break the color barrier of the Indy 500. He won 17 Trans Am races and had a documentary released about his racing career in 2020 called Uppity, the Willie T. Ribs Story. We're joined by the man himself, Willie T. Ribs. Hey, Willie, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Well, and I don't want you to forget those 10 IMSA races I won as well, as well as, as, well as the races I won in England and uh the championships over there so it's been you know there's there's been a lot that's happened over the last what 40 years right easily yeah 40 years plus absolutely yeah i guess it's hard to make sure you include everything but um no thank you for pointing that out um so obviously your documentary i've watched it about five times i actually watched it again um last night and for those who are wondering where to watch it you can watch it from netflix um which is pretty cool you're on netflix well it was about a three-year project and we went you know to of course london to uh interview with bernie ecclestone and the answers of course in albuquerque and indianapolis so it took about three years from start to finish and editing editing was 
eight months alone. Right. Yeah, no, great documentary. Um, so, and obviously you talk about this in the documentary a little bit, but talk a little bit about how you first got interested in racing um, and the first time you actually got to drive, um, you know, some type of race car. My dad was racing as a kid. You know, my family had a successful uh, 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 plumbing company and that my grandfather founded. And then he also got into real estate as well, uh, commercial. So my when my dad was young, he was motorcycle racing. When the war was over, when World War II was over, he started racing motorcycles. And, and then he got older. And when I was born, he started racing cars, sports cars and Lotuses and Elvis. And so that was my introduction. And I was pretty much born into it. And uh, that was where it all started. And I knew, I knew at early age, by the time I was nine years old, I knew where I was going to do as a career. Right. Um, sorry, Scott, go ahead. No, I was just saying, you know, it, it's one of those things, once you're born into it, it's, it's, it's really hard to imagine life not being a part of it. Um, you yeah. know, for, for, my, for myself, it was that way. You know, my, my dad worked on race cars and stuff like that. And I've been around since I was a little kid. And it's just hard to have a life where it doesn't include racing in some, some way or another. You know, and I, and I was lucky. I mean, I, you know, a lot of, you know, these diversity programs and auto racing and drive for diversity and all that. There was no such thing as that when I came up. I mean, I was exposed to it. And that's, that's the best way to be uh, involved in from the beginning, is it, you know, uh, to have that exposure and, and, and learn it from uh, the time you were a kid. I knew uh, at nine years old what, what uh, cambers were and what bump steer was in those days and 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 pretty much the technical side i was i learned at an early age so when i went to england i knew pretty much what i needed to do and where how to start and and how to succeed right and so and as you explained in the movie so you actually um paid for formula ford with your college money right i'm sure um your dad probably wasn't too happy about that no uh, no he had no problem with it because he was already in 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 the sport i mean he right. is what he loved doing and he, he couldn't take it to a professional level because he had a family and a business and uh but you know for me and my siblings you know, my sisters went to, one went to Stanford, the other one went to Santa Clara University, the older brother went to uh, Berkeley for a while. I wanted to go and start my racing career, and so they had no problem with it. My grandfather, he wasn't happy right. about it, but, um, but after a while, when he saw that I was successful at it, uh, he didn't have any problems. Right. So would you say that when, when you were over in England, your, your main goal was to race in Formula One or was it to race in the Indy 500? No, it was Formula One. 
Formula One was first. That's what I was mainly, I was exposed to the Indy 500 because my dad and Joe Leonard were great friends and they raced motorcycles together. So, um, but my initial uh, goal as a young man was to be in Formula One. And I, you know, I saw Dan Gurney was um, a, a role model, Jim Clark, of course, Graham Hill, you know, the drivers that were in Formula One uh, in the 50s and 60s, Fangio, I, yeah, I just thought they were, they were where I needed to go. That was my focus. And then Emerson Fittipaldi, went over in 1970. He left Brazil, he went to England, he started, uh, raced in Formula Fords, and then, um, and then he went from Formula Fords to Formula One. I think he might've did some Formula Three, but that was my playbook, what Fittipaldi was doing, what he did in 1970, when left Brazil, if he would have stayed in Brazil, he'd have never been in Formula One. Right. So that was my thoughts. And um, so from Formula One, so you and you actually tested that Formula One car, right? Um, was it Long Beach or where did you test the Formula One car? No, it was Portugal. Portugal. And Bernie Ecclestone, I met Bernie Ecclestone uh, in 1977 when I was racing in England. As a matter of fact, it was my fourth race, and him and his, his uh, designer, uh, Gordon Murray, came to Brands Hatch. Nigel Mansell was racing that day. I was racing that day. There was a lot of drivers that they were scouting. And uh, at that day, I wouldn't say a lot of drivers, but a few drivers. I didn't know I was one of them until he, Bernie and Gordon Murray came up to me in the pits at Brands Hatch and says, uh, we're watching you and keep up the good work. And uh, that was that was worth the whole trip to England. Just those words. Oh, I bet. Yeah, just those words. When you, um, you know, you're coming along and, and you're a young man and you're just trying to fight your way through like so many young guys, what, what did you think separated you um, from the others? Like, what did you think you possessed that they, they may not have? I, I don't know how to answer that. Um, other than, you know, I wanted, uh, right. I knew I had, I, I knew I had exceptional car control that I knew. And right. I, I, I had car control when I was nine years old and 12 years old. And, you know, I could, control a car in angles that I was very comfortable with doing. I wanted to uh, apply that onto the racetrack, which I did. And, and just, you know, to go fast and not make mistakes. That was, that was what I wanted to do. And that's what I focused on, going fast, not making mistakes, and and being able to race someone um, back and forth and win. Right. I, I just always felt anytime I watched you race, um, 
you know, especially in the tour of stuff, you know, it's where I got obviously first introduced to you. Uh, man, you're just so fiery. You, you were able to live on that edge and, but not step over. You know, you're, you're able just to, to run as hard as you could. And like you said, just have amazing car control and uh, just rare, rare talent. I felt, you know, just just that rare ability to know that edge, to race up against that edge, and and not to fall off of it. Well, and you know, I studied the the game. I studied drivers. There was one driver that had, I just thought, the greatest car control on the planet, and that was Jody Schechter. And he was Jody's five years older than me, and I watched him. In 1973, I think it was, before I went to England, he was in a Formula 5000 car at Laguna Seca. And he would come down to corkscrew and he'd come off the corkscrew sideways and he'd go through that left-hander sideways, enter sideways through it. And it was, and he did it lap after lap in the same place every time. And I thought this, it was phenomenal to watch, as a matter of fact. I mean, I, 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 I wanted, I had a little bit of Jody Schechter's style, right? Right. And when I met Bill France Sr. at Talladega in 1978, it was in the pits tonight. Ned Jarrett took me into his trailer. And no, it wasn't Bill France Sr., it was Bill France Jr. And I went into the trailer and said, down. Oh, yeah. So you like this? You like NASCAR, huh? Yes, sir. I like it. Uh, what kind of who, any drivers that you particular you followed? I said, oh, yeah, Jody Schechter. I said, well, he said, Jody Schechter. Jody Schechter. He doesn't come down here to Talladega and scare the hell out of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I nearly fell off the chair laughing when he said that about Jody Schechter. But I, I mean, and, and that was Jody. I mean, he, he was sideways everywhere, but he could control it. And then, and then he became Formula One world champion. Right. Yeah, a hell of a race car driver. Yep, and his son wasn't too bad of a race car driver either. Oh, yeah, his son, his son was bad, badass. Yeah. And, and I like them both. Both are just great, great human beings. Yeah, Jody used to come to Indianapolis when Thomas raced several years. I got to meet him one year. Um, school to see him come. Yeah, I sat next to him. I think it was the 2012 race where okay. Jody was up in the, in Pagoda on the seventh floor, and he was sitting there. And I got to tell you, Jody was always cool hand Luke. I mean, he was a real cool cat. But him watching his son, uh, you could tell he was really, he knows, Schechter knows the dangers of Indy. And he was very, it's the first time I ever seen him really on edge watching his son. And I, I was sitting next to him talking to him. And he really, he, really, he didn't really want to talk. Right. I wanted to just sort of, okay, you know, hey, 
Your son, he's got it handled, Daddy. Your son's got it handled. Just let him race. But he he was focused in on on Thomas and uh, and like I said, Thomas is a really good kid. I know him both. Yeah, he's a phenomenal race car driver. Um, I thought he was going to get one of those five hundreds. Uh, you know, just it just you know, like for so many, it just didn't fall his way. But yeah, yeah it was right there. And you know, for example, I I was racing against Marco. Andretti and the SRX series uh, for the last seven weeks. And Marco, you know, in, in hindsight, you know, he was right there. I mean, I'm talking about oh, yeah. 100 yards from yeah. winning the Indy 500. 100 yards. Yeah. yeah. And after going 500 miles. And, you know, and it's one of those things that Timing is everything, especially at Indy. You know, I mean, you look at uh, uh, Forleo, that I call him Forleo. It, was, it wasn't <laughs> real, right? Was I was like, who are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> right. and, uh, and we were in the same trailer every race for six weeks, right? Same changing trailer. And the guy is just, he is so much fun to hang out with. And he's very, I mean, he's really, everything he's done, the guy just is a total character, right? Down to earth, fun as hell. And he said to me, he says, he says, I was always there at the right time. He says, I was fast, but when it came down the stretch, I was there. You know, just like dancing with the stars. I mean, right. he was there. Right. You know, and I don't mean to jump away from you, uh, but you you brought up Marco Andretti. And, man, that SRX series, I think we might look back on this. Um, and a couple of things I felt it did. Uh, one, Ernie Francis Jr. is now known throughout the motorsports world and the more general public. Um and good for him. He deserves it. Uh, great race car driver. Um, so, job. you know, I mean, it great. looks like they've, you know, Ray and Tony and them, and they, they got him in there, and, they, you know, they really, the kid showed himself, and, uh, man, he's, he's a budding star. Well, and I, have then, uh, pushing, I have been pushing uh, Ernie's name for the last year and a half. And, you know, with what he's done in Trans Am, everything he gets in, he goes fast in. He gets in right. the dirt, he gets in a bull ring, um, and he adapts just like that. And just incredible talent. And behind the scenes, there's things happening. I can't tell you well, what's I happening, hope. but there are stuff happening right now uh, with Ernie Francis Jr., and it is deserved. And, I, and he'll I hope mix so. It up. Yeah. He'll mix it up. He'll yeah. get right in there. I thought he was going to be bashful in SRX. You know, not, you know, man, that cat got in there, boy, and started putting headlocks on people. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, lot of drama in um, SRX. It seems like you, you stayed out of most of it this year, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Dick Tracy and I, you know, <laughs> we... we uh, we had some uh, some bang ups, right? And uh, 
I think in the series, he beat me three times and I beat him three times. Right. And, uh, but you know, the fans liked it and Deegan was great. She was awesome. Um, it was, uh, it was great to race. And, and it was really sort of me and Waltrip and Elliot and Tracy leaning on each other. Right. And then the young kids, they were banging on each other. And that was the, the great part about it. It was what one kid was 17 years old, Finn house, Finn house. You're right. Yeah. I'm old enough to be his grandfather. <laughs> he was 49 years older than me. <laughs> yeah, he did a great job too. Um, yeah, he did. It was it was great to see them because you know they were aggressive, but we, you know, and I said this to Tracy. I said, look, how were we when we were their age? Okay. We were going up the mountain. We were trying to climb up the mountain and we're what they're doing now. We're right. on our way down the hill. So we're heading down the mountain, uh, out the pasture. They're heading up to the top. And I don't begrudge any of the aggressive driving that they displayed at all. I, I in fact, I admired. Yeah. I, and the other thing I thought that series really did, and maybe it's just my perception. I felt it almost looked like Marco fell in love with racing again. Because I think that you could look at that and say that Marco, I mean, I mean, you kind of got the impression Marco felt a lot of pressure in the Indy cars or something. I, you know, it's just kind of this intangible thing. You know, I'm sure his friends know about, but a general fan such as myself would not. But it, it really looked like he just fell in love with racing again. Well, Marco, you know, a lot of people thought Tracy was was the the most aggressive driver out there. It wasn't just Dick, right? <laughs> you know, it was, you know, it was a, a Marco was banging on people just as much as Tracy was. And uh, you know, it, if you were to sort of put it in order, Tracy and Marco about dead even as far as banging people, right? Then, you know, right. Deegs, you know, she got in there and muscled it up and for Ernie and uh, <laughs> Waltrip teed off on some people. So it was um, probably the cleanest driver there was Stewart. Yeah, yeah, I agree that. Yeah, Stewart. Stuart, man, he was like, hey, you guys go have, have fun beating on each other. I'm going to ride up here on the high groove until the last few laps, and then I'm going to get you. <laughs> one, of the funny, one of the funniest things I saw was on um, Haley's YouTube channel, um, that race where, uh, you know, she spun out Paul or Paul came down on her, whatever it was. Um, she There was a point where he was going to, where she thought he was going to full throttle her, so she got next to Stewart because she knew that he wasn't going to do that to Tony. <laughs> well, I don't know if, 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 if uh, Dick was going to actually do that, but of all the races this year in SRX, the fans voted Slinger numero uno of all six. That was the most favorite of all the races, you know, and it was sort of, a level playing a level playing field because a lot of drivers have run Eldora and ran Na Nashville. Well, 
I think only maybe one driver had been to Slinger. It's a quarter mile track. That's what right. they run around. That's what people run around in the Olympics with your legs. You right. right. I and and me and Castro Nevis were up on this perch, uh, watching the Ken Schrader and David Strimmy out testing the cars right on the track to get the baseline set up. And we looked at each other like, have you ever, ever seen anything like this? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> Castle never says, you know, this was an app the race. He says, this race was like doing three Indy 500s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. You're just constantly in that bowl. You, I mean, you never, yeah. you never relax. And to do, right. I think we did 170 laps around there or something. That didn't include the the heats. The heats were sixty laps each, right? right? Then we did the 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 main event, which was one hundred and seventy seven laps. Are you kidding? I mean, it was it was um, it was a boot camp. That was boot camp, <laughs> and because you don't you can't you don't have time to look in the mirror because as soon as you come out of the corner. You're looking to you're looking for the entry. As soon as you come out, you're looking for the entry. You have no time to look up. Castro Nevis took his mirror and put it right in front of him. It was over here. Castro Nevis said he did not have time to look into his mirror and look back. He had to put it right there so he could just glance up with his eyes. You know, after doing that, you know, it, it was so such a different type of racing than what you grew up on. Um would you, looking back, had wanted to do more of that kind of racing? Oh yeah, if I would have had that that opportunity. Yeah. And 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 original originally when Ray called me to do this, it was going to be two bull rings, two dirt track races, and two road course races. That was the original uh, uh, plan. That was the original concept. Well, we couldn't, he couldn't really find any road course races where we could run real close in, and do a two hour show and, 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 and the format that they wanted to do it in. They're going to try to do it next year. They're going to try to have two road courses on the calendar. I won't be doing them. I'm not going to, I'm done. I'm done. I'll be 67 next year. Let some other superstars come in and do their thing, and 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 give them a, a, a have let them have fun, right? But you know, I would have liked to have done. I really like the dirt. Okay, Eldora, yeah. Eldora and Slinger are my two favorite races. I had love you, running at Eldora. Had you ever raced on dirt before? Uh, I did one night in nineteen eighty six. And it was an invitational race in late models, 1986 in Wichita, Kansas. That's the only time <laughs> other than my grandpa's tractor. <laughs> when, you know, like 30, you know, 40 years goes by and you, you're kind of put back in that situation. Do, do you actually remember like some of the instincts like from back then or what? Or kind of how how does that work? Like, do you, I don't even remember girlfriends I had back then. <laughs> okay. So, well, well, it yeah, depends I mean, how many you had, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. 
but yeah, I don't, you know, in all fairness, and I, and I don't mean, I'm not trying to insult anyone or any of my ex-girlfriends or friends or acquaintances, but I, there's, you don't remember it. Right. But you do remember how, and, and, and it was the only track where we turned right. I mean, because you at Eldora, right. you're down in the corner, you're this, right? In right. this, right? Power off, right? Come off as low as you can. Try to come off straight. But you're always working the wheel. And you're working it to the right, right? I just thought that was the best. That was the best. And Eldora was absolutely awesome. Yeah, yeah I, it, I was, it's a, I was it's just a great place. And, yeah. Yeah, I just went to Royal Valhall race there a couple of weeks ago. Great, great place for sure. And, you know, Tony definitely puts a lot of money into that track. Um, it's a great facility. Oh, he's done. You know, I'm going to tell you, I really didn't. I had not met Tony Stewart until this year. Really? That's never met. Him. And um, he is one for one. First of all, he's fun as hell. Guys, fun. He's a hoot to hang out with, right? Two, he's really sharp. He's yeah. very sharp. Uh, not just from motorsports and the technical side, but the business side of the sport. He's a really sharp guy. And he could be uh, he could be in a Roger Penske position one day. Don't oh easy. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he he could be in Roger Penske. Well, you know he's a guy, and um, Rayer is a guy who get things done. I mean, that's just the bottom line. I mean, you can like Tony, not like him, whatever, but you can never say he doesn't get anything done. Ray Abraham, you mean? No, I'm talking about Tony and Ray. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, well, both yeah they together, great combo. Both. I mean, my brothers worked with Ray at IROC in '83, '84 when they were starting that. And uh, that's why I first come around. Yeah, that's why I first kind of met Ray. And uh, he just gets stuff done. I mean, it's just how he's always been. And Tony's the same way. You know, Tony says he's going to do something. Tony's going to get it done. Well, and if you look at Ray Everham, the guy is, he's got no fat on him. Right. He's got no fat. The guy, uh, he's, He's very lean because he's burning it all off in energy and work. He is, and every day I saw him when we got to the racetrack, he had a pad in his hand. He had a notepad and a pen, and he was just marking it off. Okay, boom, boom. And, you know, you got the, the, the crew we had, the mechanics, the crew chiefs. I mean, all-star crew chiefs. Oh, yeah. Todd Parrott. Jeff Hammond, Tony Urey, Scott Hansen. I mean, you go down the line. I mean, these are absolutely Hall of Fame uh, uh, chief mechanics. And, and I got to tell you, uh, them and the mechanics that, uh, that Ray hired, it's all-star cast. Everybody was an all-star cast. Everyone involved. From personnel to... Uh, Ashley, Ruggiero, I mean, they just, everybody was uh, just the best. And, and the telecast, Bestwick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? All right. Uh, Yoakum, uh, Dory. Hinchcliffe. 
Hinchcliffe. Yeah, Hinchcliffe. Doherty, I mean, and and Doherty, when he walked down the pit lane, you didn't have to look for him. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Oh, you didn't have to look. It looked like a damn telephone pole coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was it was a show, and, and our numbers showed it. Our, oh, yeah. Our TV ratings. NASCAR, I think we might have had higher race ratings than Cup in one event. And all the rest of them, we were right there with them. And we beat Formula One and we beat IndyCar and we beat in Infinity every gig. Every yep. gig. Yep. Uh, it, was, it was definitely, uh, it was just well done. I mean, it just from top to bottom, the way they ran the program and they made sure they kept the races close and they did everything they could to give you guys equal equipment at all times. And it was just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it was just well, well done. Um, I, you know, you can't, I mean, there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. That's for sure. Well, the response from the fans after uh, Swinger, for example, um, the fans came in. And, and you ever see fans that rushed a football field after a game? Well, yep. they came yeah. came in and and Swinger was packed. There was no room, standing room only. And afterwards, I signed autographs for over an hour after the race. I just sat on the car, and and I thought to myself, you know what? These people have paid their money to come out here and watch us, and they've been very patient. And you know, and the kids, all the kids were there. It was just awesome to see the look on their face. Uh, and, and, and what they thought of the show, that means everything that for a driver uh, means everything. Yeah, I, I agree. I, <laughs> I, you know, I think that that's, um, that is, yeah, that's a great, great point. Cause that, because within that, you're going to, you know, that series going forward is going to build fans. All those drivers who are currently racing are going to have more fans because of it and deservedly so. Well, I mean, you and uh, uh, you just mentioned Ernie Francis Jr. Yeah, I mean, he made uh, he was already uh, out, his name was out there, but it's really out there now. He's on Broadway, right? Right, right. right. He's on at Holiday Inn gigs are over. You're on Broadway <laughs> now, son. So. <laughs> you know something else? Uh, I really liked watching those behind the scenes videos. Uh, you really took that role of that that mentor cheerleader type too. I felt like you didn't come in there and I mean at least how it showed. You know, the, like I said behind the scenes, you were so encouraging to everyone, um, and I, I really respected that. You know, because you, you could be you know like anybody, you could be gruff, you could be you know what have you, and you just took that role, man. And you were really you were like that support system and, and pushing these people along and you know i thought that really was impressive at 66 years old you, that's all you're going to do now is be a cheerleader son you might have some wrinkled up legs you know but you're <laughs> gonna you know it, it was uh everyone there had their legacy their legacy was set They've done everything, except for the young kids. They're building right. theirs. But, you know, you want the young kids, you want you know where they want to go because that's how he used to think. That's how I thought. Right. Tony Stewart, he thought that way. 
Castro and everybody in there, Kanan, they all thought the same way as these young kids. You don't want to, you want to motivate them because we're not going anywhere anymore. We've done it. Right. Right. We're, we, we're uh, you know, past your glue factory. <laughs> you know, so you kind of get back to your racing career. You know, you, you wanted to do Formula One so bad. And it just doesn't work out. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't happen. And then you start, you come over, and, you know, you do your road racing in America and that, and um, to high degrees of success with Dan Gurney. Um, just, you know, what an iconic deal that was. I mean, just so great. Like when you get on top of the car and do the ollie shuffle and, you know, just – you know, just such a great uh, thing. And then, you know, we get to the speedway and you have a couple stops and starts, a couple of things that kind of look like they're going to work out and they didn't work out. And then you, then you made the show. And, and I'm sure you've been told this a hundred million times, but man, that coming down pit lane, when I watch that today, I still think that's one of the greatest shows of, if you want to encapsulize what that's that place means to a driver, that you know when you're just so excited to come down pit lane, I, that was just just one of the most iconic moments ever at Speedway. Uh, I mean, when I look at pics of that, I I can recall it just like it was yesterday. You know, it, it's the toughest place, in my opinion, to race anywhere in the world. I mean. Fernando Alonso will attest to that. He is two-time Formula One world champion. And Indy is the type of place that it can get into your head. If you, it, it, you just have to, one thing that was great about <coughs> Al Alonso Jr., who, who I am very close to, Al and I, he's like my little brother, and Bobby Unser, and they said just stay cool don't let it get into your head make the car work when the car is working it's good you're it's going to be a fun ride if it's not it's not going to be a nice ride and you've just got to not let let it get to you and when it all worked out we had no engine failures and and another thing tim wardrop was such an awesome engineer i had 100 confidence in him make the car go fast now all we had to do after that was make the engines survive and uh and it did yeah. i um i actually met i met tim um during the latter part of his life i volunteered at um ty's carlson's team when they were fan force united the year that um they had john alisi in the 500 and tim was the engineer um very smart guy and um <laughs> Very funny guy as well. Oh, he's 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 a great sense of humor. Technically, he's brilliant, brilliant engineer. And in Indy, he had that place figured out. And uh, despite being under the gun uh, that we were time wise, he was cool as ice, cool as ice. And uh, hell, he actually lived with me for three months mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, around 1995, I think it was, or 90, yeah, 1995, came out to California and spent three months and uh, just uh, great, great, great fun. Hell of a party or two. Oh, I've heard stories. I, oh, yeah. I've, I've heard some stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There, we, we were going to Vegas like every other week for three months. <laughs> I think he may have had you beat on girlfriends. Um, uh, maybe. I, um, we'll have to uh, do some tabulating. <laughs> so, um, so 1985 was the first year you actually appeared at Indy. Um, and th this is something you didn't, I don't think you guys talked about in the movie, but you were planning on, you were entered in the 1984 race, correct? But you obviously you never showed 85. up. 85. So it wasn't 84 because I was seeing was online. They said it was 1985. Okay. Because online and I, Trust me, internet is not always right. But it's in 1984, Doug Shearson Racing did not appear. Oh, yeah. Okay. They entered me. Okay. Was, that's what. Yeah. It was entered. Right. But then the, the money didn't come through. You're right. correct with that. Right. Doug Shearson. And uh, he put my name down on entry, but the money never happened. The, the sponsor deal. Right. Um, so then, so 1985 comes, um, and then, and, and I know you're talking about this in the movie, but the big thing they were talking about was the, the windscreen, right? The basically someone uh, was, had placed the was, windscreen. That was part of that, it. That was just one of the elements. They, I don't know why they focused on the windscreen so much. There was a, there was a lot more that was happening chassis wise than just getting, you know, a 200 mile per hour blast. It was, uh, there was some, the crew, the crew chief and I, I think his name was Leffler, Paul Leffler. Paul Leffler, yeah. We, it, that was the biggest issue. He never said one word to me. Not one word. And uh, at Indy, you better have some communication. Yeah. And it better be good. And uh, he didn't like me. And it took me about a couple hours to realize I don't like you either. And it's best we part ways. That was the biggest deal. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd been around Paul a little bit in the midgets and sprint cars, but I never knew him. And uh, I always knew him to be pretty quiet, but I didn't know him to be like in a working relationship like that. And that, that was kind of, that was kind of, it was, well, it wasn't kind of, it was really sad to hear because. I think he really missed out, you know, truthfully. I mean, you know, he had a chance to work with a supreme talent. He just had to well, I don't know. change his I, mindset I, or whatever. I, I, I don't think that there, there was several elements that, that definitely were an issue. One, one of the elements, which was probably a small part, but I didn't come from his genre. I mean, he came right. from midgets and, you know, that's where – you know, uh, and those are the drivers that he was dealing with, and he knew. And uh, and next thing you know, I walk into the the garage, and uh, he had nothing to say. That's that's just too bad. I mean, it just a shame. It really yeah. is. But it 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 worked out. It meant it happened the way it happened. The bottom line is, it happened. Right. 
Right. You might not win uh, the war the first time out, but you keep you keep firing uh, missiles, and eventually you're going to get it done. And we did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's the mindset you have to have, and you know, and that's that competitive spirit that a racer has to have because you, there's so many highs and lows in this sport, and you you got to you got to be somebody who can just push through them. Um, if you can't, then it's it's a hard road. It's a real hard road. Oh yeah, and 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 for me, it was even harder, and I don't have to tell you why. Right, but right. Uh, I. I wasn't ever going to, I wasn't going to quit. That wasn't even uh, a consideration. That wasn't, a, wasn't an option. It was just making sure that you keep racing and you keep winning and, and, um, and when uh, Bill Cosby called me, that was it. And yeah. despite, despite what happened to Cosby, Later on, uh, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been there. That is right. Fact. Yeah, no, I mean, you that know. is a fact. I would have not been in the Indy 500 if he hadn't called me and said, What do you want to do? <laughs> I said, Well, I want to go to the, I want to do Indy 500 and IndyCar. What's it going to cost? I said, well, spend, you're going to have to write $500,000 check right up front to at least, you know, guarantee. Okay, come to Vegas in two days and I'll have the money. That's how he was. And everything he said he was going to do, he did it and more. All right, just like that. He, you didn't right. have to chase him. You didn't have to call him. He did it. Right. So was that your first time? So when was the first time you actually met Bill Cosby? Was it that phone call or yes. did you meet him? It was that phone call. I didn't, I had no idea that he knew, did, uh, knew the name Willie T. Ribs. I had no idea. So how did he like, who, I guess, how did he like get your contact information or how did he like even know about you to begin with? Let me tell you what, those guys can get your contact information in about 10 seconds. I believe it. Anybody on that level, just like that. Right. If if Jeff Bezos wanted to find Willie T. Ribs, he'd find him in five seconds. It's amazing. Uh, my my phone number was unlisted, and my dad called me, and uh, it was right after uh, a race at Sonoma, which I won, and I won the race on Sunday. I got a call on Monday. And um, my dad says, uh, I, Bill Cosby called for you because my number was unlisted. I said, uh, I thought it was a Paul Newman joke because Newman always called me with, with crazy messages <laughs> and, and disguised voices, right? And, uh, and in fact, one uh, message I got from Newman, he says, and he had a disguised voice. He says, my name is David Stern and from the National Enquirer. And we understand you were bunging iguanas on a Denver street corner. <laughs> Verbatim, quote, close quote. I said, 
whoever this is, iguanas don't get that far north. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, "Damn ribs! I never thought about that." But I thought it was a it was a new a Newman prank. And then I called the number back, the number that my dad gave me, and uh, it was him who answered the phone. And he was very brief. He was like three minute phone call. What do you want to do? This is what I want to do. Okay, uh, I'm going to be in Vegas in two days call uh, my uh, assistant, Helen Keohan. She'll have your flight plan paid and just go to the airport. Yeah. Just like that. Did, um, did Bill ever come to the 500? He never came to Indianapolis, did he? No, but he came to the Meadowlands twice, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he came to the Meadowlands when we were running there. Because that was close to his home in New York. He just right across the river. Right. Well, I had to feel good, too. I mean, just, he's, you know, he was such an iconic person, especially at that time. And to be able to work with him and, and um, man, just to get that kind of recognition, you know, that your talent had kind of transcended enough to get that kind of recognition. That had to feel great. And. Uh, but the one, at one race at the Meadowlands, uh, Cart made him the honorary starter. He was the wave the green, and he, and he waved the green flag. But he played a little joke on the on the flagman. He had the green flag and then reached down as the cars were coming and started to raise the checkered flag. <laughs> and the guy, <laughs> the starter, I don't know, Nick Ferrer, they pushed the flag down. <laughs> so, so the cars didn't see the checkered flag. That's so funny. <laughs> oh man, I never heard that story. That is awesome. Yeah. And you guys were originally thinking because I saw you at Don K's radio show once. You were going to interview him for a documentary, right? Yes. Yes. And. Uh... I don't know where that's at now. Uh, I do know that I have signed with Showtime. And Showtime is producing a TV series, a scripted TV series based on the film Uppity. And it will be produced by Brian Koppelman, who produces the show Bayons, and Don Cheadle will direct it. Four, oh, wow. years, four years, 10 episodes a year. A season. That's a good deal. Yeah. In fact, I was Jesus. just on the phone with them be before I got on Zoom with you. Tune in next week for the second part of the Willie T. Ribs interview on the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Thanks for listening.